This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 44. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock, I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind, they are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The word of the Lord. stiff and steady breeze was blowing off the sea, blowing through Elijah's hair as he stood there at the top of Mount Carmel. The view that he had seen there was a miraculous, marvelous, glorious one, although maybe it wasn't the view that many would expect. Elijah had been there many times before. A mountain situated so near to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea with a vantage point out to the west. In the evenings, it must have been spectacular to watch the sun's rays glisten across the surface of the water, to watch the sun set, seemingly dropping there into the middle of that vast body of water. But that day, Elijah saw none of that. He saw none of that because his eyes were fixed. His attention was focused on an even more breathtaking sight. A ring of ashes in the dirt. Elijah couldn't shake the smell of smoke and ash that was filling his nostrils. Anyone who's ever been camping recognizes these sights and these Smells. There's nothing remarkable about them, but it most certainly was remarkable. Anything but common was what Elijah was beholding. Because those sights and smells, they were the sights and smells of victory. And not just victory, but absolute, unmatched superiority. Elijah stood speechless. As he saw that ring of fire and ash, speechless because of what once 
was there just a few moments before. Twelve large stones and wood and a sacrificial bowl. Water from the jugs that had been poured out on top of it. And then the Lord rained down with fire in answer to his call. Just a few paces over was the other altar, still intact, stones and wood and bull, still there waiting for their God, waiting for Baal or Ashtoreth to respond. Elijah saw the path that had been worn around it from 400 prophets of Asherah and 450 prophets of Baal. All day long they went hooting and hollering and making circles around that altar, begging and pleading and calling for their God to come down to respond, to hear them just this once, to answer. But to no avail. It was 950 prophets of Baal and Asherah versus one singular prophet of the God of Israel. And the odds were heavily slanted in favor of one of those parties, and the events of the day tell us who it was that had the upper hand. One simple prayer offered to the true God was enough to undo 950 nothing prophets who called out to their nothing God. How ironic. How ironic that the nothing that was there in that ring of smoke and ash was all the proof that anyone needed to know that Elijah's God was everything. And the everything that remained at Baal's altar, the stones and the wood and the bull, the everything that was there was all the proof that anyone needed to know that Baal and Asherah are nothing. Elijah stood and contemplated the power and sovereignty and love of his God as he pondered the question, who is like the Lord? 150-some years later, God wanted the people of Isaiah's day to ponder the same question, and so he straight up asked them, He came to his prophet Isaiah and gave him the words that he was to speak. He sent the Spirit of God to inspire Isaiah to write the words of his prophetic book because he wants us to ponder the question, too, who is like the Lord? God is pretty bold in asking. He just comes right out and asks the question, who is like me? Now, you have to be pretty special in order to ask a question like that. An average person would be wise not to ask the question, who is like me? Because you'll be bombarded with the answer. The list of people who are like you or even better than you, it will be embarrassingly long. You have to be pretty confident and you have to be pretty special if you're going to ask the question, who is like me? When I was a boy, there was a marketing campaign. One of the more successful ones, at least it sticks in my mind. Convincing people, young and old, far and wide, that they ought to drink Gatorade. 
They even wrote a little song that put to lyrics the thoughts that were on the, the minds of the little boys and little girls as they tied up their basketball shoes and made their way to the court. I want to be like Mike. They didn't come out and say it, but a, a masterfully subtle way they insinuated that if you drink Gatorade, then you have better chances of being like Michael Jordan. And at least from a basketball standpoint, who wouldn't want to be like Mike? Six NBA championship rings, five NBA MVPs. He was a member of 14 all-star teams and was inducted into the exclusive NBA Basketball Hall of Fame. Who would like to be like Mike? He was paid nearly $100 million to play a sport that he loved, and now today, annually, he makes 1.3 times that, and that's just his endorsement with Nike. That's not even counting the seven or eight other companies that he is the spokesman for. He's worth over $2 billion. I guess you could add my name to the list of people who want to be like Mike. Michael Jordan is one of those rare people who could ask the question, who is like me? He's asked the question before, but more often, others ask the question about him. Sports fans wonder if he is in a league of his own. Sports analysts debate back and forth whether Michael Jordan is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. You have to be pretty special if you're going to ask, who is like me? But your God fits that bill. He backs it up by being the real deal. The only deal. Listen to what he says of himself. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Just go back to the beginning, God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The bales and the asteras, the, the statues that are made of wood and stone, they weren't there at the beginning, but God was. God was there at the beginning, and he made all things. In fact, the wood and the stone and the metal that is used to craft an idol, those are things that weren't there at the beginning, and they are only in existence because the one true God made them to be. Go back to the beginning, God says. Or you can look to the future. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. God who knows all and is in control of all, he has a history of telling the future. And the prophet Isaiah is just one small sample size that proves that point. Isaiah foretold the judgment that was coming down on the nation of Israel because of their arrogance and their unbelief. God was going to come 
and wipe them off the face of the earth. And in fact, that's what happened as the Assyrians came and carried them off. God used Isaiah to predict the future again, to warn the people of Judah that a similar fate was coming their way if they didn't turn their backs on their idol worship and worship instead the one true God. Isaiah's words, God's words came true again as Babylon came and carried them off into captivity. The second half of Isaiah's prophetic message, the half in which our first reading is contained, that's a section of scripture that is carrying a theme of hope. Despite all of the judgment that had been brought down, despite the struggles that they had gone through, despite the bleak outlook that those people would have, there is hope. Isaiah holds up that beacon of light and hope and assures those people that the remnant will be returned, that God's people will once again worship in his temple and dwell within the land that he had promised to them. And you know the Bible record. That promise came true too. God speaks and things happen. God predicts. God promises and he fulfills. He predicts and then delivers. And yet even all of that, it's not enough. Not enough for us. God has a 100% accuracy rate. Every promise that he's ever made has absolutely come true. Our God is the only God who has any power. We all know that to be true, and yet we still find ways to grow fearful. We still found, find ways to doubt. We still find ways to chase after the things of this world instead of the one who created them. How often don't we gain confidence from the things that belong to us instead of looking to the one to whom we belong? How foolish it is that we take created things and give them honor and glory and priority in our lives instead of giving those things to the one that's due them, the one who created them and us all. John Kelvin was a theologian who lived in Switzerland in the 1500s. We would find plenty of his theology that we would disagree with on the basis of Scripture, but he was spot on, dead on accurate when he said, the human heart is an idle factory. Our sinful hearts can turn anything into an idol. The things that our God has blessed us with, we give them priority in our lives, our jobs, the cars that we drive, the money in our bank accounts. We prioritize them and make them the goals of our lives instead of having as our goal worshiping and praising God, trusting in him and being content with what we have. Though obviously created, we put our hope and our trust in things. Things that our God in his grace and mercy has given us. Things that our God should take right out from under us the moment that we get out of line. There are times that we make ourselves to be idols. We may not be tempted to craft statues of wood or stone, but there are certainly times where we allow our own feelings Certainly times that we allow our own emotions to 
take priority in our lives, how foolish, how foolish it is to take created things, to take things that are blessings from God and treat them as if they are God's themselves. Isaiah really is speaking to us as he condemns idolatry in the hearts and lives of those around him. He speaks to us who make idols all day long. He speaks to our human idol factory hearts. Isaiah says, All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. For our first commandment sins. For the times that we fail to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, we deserve to have our idols tossed into the fire. We deserve ourselves to be thrown into the fires of hell. But did you hear how God described himself? From the very beginning, God chose precise and specific words, descriptions of himself. It can be easy to fly past those as we read our our Bibles. It can be easy to fail to acknowledge what that actually means. But listen again. Our reading begins by saying, this is what the Lord says. And that's God's covenant name. L-O-R-D, all capital letters. That's the God of free and faithful saving grace. That's the God who shows undeserved love. That's the God who takes sinners like you and me and washes us clean. That's the God who takes people who could never earn his favor, who could never do enough, who could never live the life that he requires. And he takes our place. And he forgives our sins. And he sets us at his side in the glory of his presence. Moses describes this L-O-R-D. He calls him the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And so despite of, in spite of what we deserve, instead what we receive from our God is rich helpings of forgiveness and peace. God calls himself Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, Our God has redeemed us. He has bought us back from the ways of sin and evil. He has paid the price so that we could be forgiven. Christ Jesus shed his blood. He shed his holy blood so that we could be his children. So that we could be heirs of everlasting life. So that we could have the promise of hope and a future. So that heaven could be our eternal home. Christ Jesus shed his blood. He laid down in the dust of death so that death couldn't harm us anymore so that we could have life with him a life that will never end Christ Jesus defeated death so that we could live with him forever now to the one who lives for us now we can dedicate our lives to living for him the one who lived for us now he helps us to do just that He is Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. He is the King of kings, sovereign, 
Lord over all. All things are under his feet. All things are under his control. So no matter what hardships we might face in this world, no matter how rocky the path, he is there. He is our king. He knows how to guard and guide us. No matter how upset we are about the weeds that are in the field, no matter how frustrated we grow about the influence of evil in our lives, our God sees and he knows. Our God who is King of kings and and Lord of lords, he knows how to protect us. He knows how to sustain us. He knows how to help us to grow in our patience as we wait for that final harvest. Our God is the Lord Almighty. He's the powerful maker of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of hosts. All things are under his control. He created the earth and the sun, moon, and stars. The entire universe is a testament to his power and to his love. He's the Lord of angel armies. He commands those angels to do his bidding, to carry out his will, and to bless us who call on his name. It's like the psalmist says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. It can be easy to look out into the field of our lives and feel threatened by the weeds that are all around us. It can be easy to grow frustrated and to wish that God would just yank that evil influence out of our lives and just let us grow as a thriving wheat field, but that's not what our God has planned. Our God has something better in store to sustain us every step of our journey, to be with us every step of the way, to continue to feed us with his holy word, and to strengthen our faith and our trust in him. What a comfort it is to be reminded who our God is and what he has done for us. He points us to his power and to his love. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock. I know not one. There is no other rock. So stand on him. Stand on his promises. Ground your faith and your life and your hope in him and watch the blessings that will flow. Our God is in a class all by himself. There's no one, no thing that is anything like him and that's not even close. He's the one and only true God. He's the only God who has power, and he uses that power for your benefit and blessing. Our God is real, and that means that we are really his. Our God is alive, and that means that we will live and do live with him. We live here on this earth with God. We walk by faith with him. Until the day when the harvest is ready until the day when God gathers us to his side, until the day that the weeds are removed and the wheat is gathered together, when that harvest day is done, then we will rejoice. Then we will continue rejoicing. 
for the, an eternity in the presence of our God is in store. This is our incomparable hope. Because ours is an incomparable God. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.